0: Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. I'm your host, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for spending some time with me. I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast today with Mark Wright all the way in England. If you really care about the hospitality industry and learning about team culture, then this is just a golden podcast. I think you're really going to get a lot of valuable information from it. So let's get into today's show. Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. It's amazing to have you listening again, so thanks so much for tuning in. Now, today is, a, is another special episode. I'm so lucky to have fantastic guests, and the next guest, we've been, we've been to-ing and fro about when to do this podcast, so I'm, I'm so glad that we've been able to do it today. Mark Wright, Managing Director of Wham Consultancy, all the way over in the UK. How are you,
1: Mark? I'm um, very good, Sean. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be on. It's it's, it's been a little while uh, to to get get ourselves on, on together, but re- really glad to be on with you today.
0: Now, uh, thank you for joining me. It's um now what you do in your consultancy business within hospitality obviously resonates with me because there's so many synergies between my career and your career. But why don't you just share with the listeners just about your career in hospitality and sort of where you started and and how you've got to where you are now. Yes,
1: yeah, so, so I, I, I've been in hospitality for coming up at 25 years now. Um, mm. So my, my tale is the, the young man that started glass collecting when he was 16 at school and uh, <laughs> was, 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 was really roped in and, 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 and developed a love for, for hospitality, uh, a love particularly at that time for, for late-night bars. That's where I started, (laughs) and uh, yeah, yeah. You know, do do you continue your studying, or do you continue with late night bars and flashy lights and smoke machines and all that? So, Mm -hmm. so that's where I started at Uh, Mm sixteen, and then my career, uh, let's say, span over almost twenty five years now, right up to my last uh, sort of full time employee gig, if you will, was as a managing uh, operations director. Uh, for one of the Northeast's most loved uh, leisure cinema operators. Okay. And, and, and in between, and, and in between uh, you know, I, I touched all the, all the career points you would expect of someone that's looking to, to progress up through the industry, um, mm-hmm. from, from glass collecting onto on the bar part-time and full-time, uh, mm-hmm. into my first management role at, at, the, at the sort of ripe old age of 20, um, oh, yeah. and then progressing as a general manager through different sizes of venues, um, different sizes of companies uh, multi-site uh, cluster roles operations manager roles and like i say f- finishing off as, as an operations director before i opened WAM. so yeah lots to um b- to unpack, pr- right? <laughs> yeah lots to unpack uh primarily based in in the northeast of England newcastle upon- tyne Mm-hmm. Um, although I did spend uh, four years working up in Scotland, across the the, the breadth of the of the, the beautiful country that is Scotland, mm-hmm. uh, and then back to Newcastle uh, after that spell. So, uh, primarily northeast based, but with uh, with my multi site roles, and certainly with yeah. WAM now, we we have we have national coverage across the uh, across the, the the whole of the UK. So when you um. When you first got into the
0: industry, when you were sixteen and you're doing that glass collector role, and I imagine seeing lots of um, interesting, interesting happenings in the bars and clubs, like what what got you hooked? Was it was it sort of one particular moment which sort of got you hooked into hospitality, and you went, you know what, I'm going to give this a red hot go?
1: Yeah, I, I think for me, uh, Sean, uh, I've, 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 my fir- my first job before I got into glass collecting was. I, I delivered papers. I was a paper yeah, boy. Yeah, me too. And, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and, and so delivering papers on a first thing in the morning to then moving into the real hustle and bustle of, of the late night economy was just was just you know chalk and cheese. Mm-hmm. And, and the great and the great thing about uh, about that time where I, where I got into to, to pubs and bars, so we're talking so the the early early to mid nineties, mm-hmm. is it was just a roaring industry, particularly in Newcastle upon Tyne. You know mm-hmm. what we see now as being um footfall on the streets on some saturday evenings we were seeing that on a thursday night wow. um, it was just you know it, it was just a, a real thriving a thriving place lots of creativity within within the industry new concepts new design uh cutting edge light and sound and i think just being immersed in that in a at a very early age and seeing people enjoying themselves um seeing that whole uh, social aspect that came with working in hospitality just really hooked me in mm-hmm. and uh you know i was lucky to work for a fantastic company when i first started uh, the company's not around right now it's, it's it's morphed into something else but 42nd street bars limited uh, owned by a fantastic owner called nigel volcard and um and and the, the the attention to detail he would put into all these new openings and always looking for the the next cutting edge um, aspect to bring to, to to Newcastle as a whole um, was just a great a great starting part, a great melting part for me to start my career. Do you think that
0: in those early days, quite often, you know, I've done a lot of these podcasts, been lucky enough to do a lot of these podcasts now. Like and, and often when I interview the guests and we talk about their career, they often will touch on like the first, the first boss or the second boss, you know that they had, and mm-hmm. it, it seems like that person is so critical, you know, in the in Absolutely. the role of hospitality, career of hospitality. Did, what what did you take from him that you sort of thought you know brought brought you through your career now? Wow.
1: Well, I, I suppose there's a couple of bits of that working for Forty Second Street. Uh, Nigel is an owner; it's a fantastic owner. I think one of the things. That um, one of the things that really struck me was that even at the level I was coming at and entry level, mm-hmm. the, the man at the top of the company knew who you were, would take mm-hmm. time to speak to you if you if you came in, and, and 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 that that rapport and that empathy with with you know again junior level entry level even if you were on the bar or whoever you were that really stood with me. So learning from from uh, learning seeing that and, and how he he set his business out quite early in my career was was a real eye-opener i think mm-hmm. moving on one of my uh one of my mentors was one of my early general managers uh, a gentleman called jimmy uh jimmy dimitri uh, mm-hmm. G- jimmy came from greek heritage uh, and mm-hmm. had all that hospitality that comes with, with, with people from that yeah. country <laughs> yeah you know they're, they're brought mm-hmm. up in that and again seeing his rapport with 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 guests seeing how he created this this hospitality culture and in his ways his actions his his means Again, he would know everybody's name, what everybody drank. And just soaking that up. And Jimmy was a real guiding light for me through the early days of my career. And I owe a lot to him for helping to develop me as an individual, teaching me the touch points of certainly my early management days. And then as I progressed, he was always that mentor that I could go and ask questions of and would always steer me in the right direction to to, to build my career.
0: Do you think... um... It's a question I was just thinking as you were telling that story you're talking about two men who have been really influential, I reckon both would would probably be from big families. And as we sort of um and I, I think that has a lot to play with hospitality owners and how they relate to customers and and mm-hmm. that connection point is they often they often come from big families, you know what I mean? Because they're mm-hmm. they yeah. used to they used to being around a lot of people, used to sharing, they used to being hospitable. That's what obviously hospitality is about. Do you think, yep. as as we get into a society with smaller families and and uh, subsets of you know uh, a lot more single people and people keeping to themselves and that kind of stuff, that hospitality is going to be a harder thing to train because because people can't see it in their day to day life as maybe as they would thirty or forty years ago.
1: I think I think that's a very good observation, Sean. I think mm. that there's probably a good element of truth in that. I, mm. I think trying to you know, I'm in my early forties now, mm. and uh, trying to bring through the next generation of hospitality superstars gets harder and harder as, as time goes by. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- I was talking to a client recently, actually, and we, we were talking about um, how a lot of a lot of managers nowadays um, fall into the industry uh, without having any any real training, any real background and any real mentors really to, to, to keep them on, you know, to, to keep them Straight right. And, and, they fall, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and they fall into the industry without any, any solid background. And mm-hmm. we were talking about how actually those people to a degree harm the hospitality industry um, yeah. because they haven't come through, um, you know, a, a level of training, a level of development, um, ha- had those strong personalities uh, to, to, to guide them. Mm. And, and and I think you're right, I think from a societal point of view um, uh, there's a little bit about people uh, perhaps not wanting to put the hard work in at such an early mm-hmm. age and and, and mm-hmm. having the patience to um, craft a career mm-hmm. if I, if I can say that yeah, you course. know it's all about what can we what can we get now rather than looking at the long term and having the patience to craft a career mm-hmm. and um and those societal changes whether or not they they are um linked to smaller families and 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 less uh less hospitality within the family arena not sure it's an interesting thing that that perhaps that uh, you know I'm, i'll have a little think about and, and do some uh, do some digging on that it might be a good white paper further down the line somewhere
0: <laughs> i only thought of that because i with my with the business i'm working with at the moment i interviewed someone today and and she said she came from a family of seven and mm-hmm. and i thought and she was very hospitable right and i just mm-hmm. thought Wow, I wonder if that's that's what's lacking on 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 some counts, and and I think uh, you know what what you just said there, and you know that um, uh, people aren't you know sort of seeing his career as much, and we're getting a more diluted kind of um, staff member that's coming through, you know, for for one of a better word. I just wonder if that's because we do have a lot more food concepts out there, so therefore the. Um, quote-unquote, uh, you know, pool of candidates might be smaller. Um, yeah. yeah. Or, I, for, or for, po- you know, a case of just the people are just changing their mindset around hospitality
1: and don't want to see it as a career. I, I think the pool of, of quality candidates definitely feels a lot shallower than, than it has been in the past, mm. um, without a doubt. And, and you know, I, I think when you talk about, up in the northeast, we're quite lucky in the northeast, England Sean. Whereas hospitality is seen as a real, as a real career. That's also, awesome. um, yeah. It, 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 it's a it's a different from other areas in the country in which I've, I've been involved in of work. Right. You know, I, I know managers that have that have been in their sites or been. Uh, well, I know one couple, Sean, that have been in their site um, upwards of forty years. Wow. Same size, and that site continues because they're 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 real hospitality. Um, yeah. Hospitality warriors, I call them. You know, they, they've been in that <laughs> place embedded, for forty right? years. Mm-hmm. They, they they constantly are growing their business. They, they've mm-hmm. been brought up in, in 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 you know at a time where the trainer was available, the mentorship was available. Um, it wasn't all about the quick fix. There was a patient element of crafting your career, and you, and, and I see that in a lot of sites now. I've had general managers in place, and they're not stale general managers. We're not talking about people that are just hanging on for the sake of it. We're talking about mm. people that are constantly looking to push their businesses, and um, and yeah, and, and have crafted their career. I mean, I, I I'm the worst one to talk about patience, Sean. But my, my New Year's resolution this year is actually to be more patient. Um, I'm terrible <laughs> at it. And it. How's it going? It's not going very well, my friend. It's not going very well, but I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. Um, but if I think about my career. When I was 16 and glass collecting, I thought I should have been on the bar. When I was 18, I got on the bar. I thought I should have been in my first junior management position. When mm. I got my first junior management position, I thought I was ready to be an assistant. When I thought I was an assistant, I was – and you get, you get where I'm coming from here. And that's, oh, that's totally. what follows me all, all through my career. So I, I wouldn't say I've had patience, but what that, that has brought me is the hunger to better myself, to uh, craft a career correctly to to follow a pathway that helps me develop in in, in my hospitality journey um, mm. and, and i think that's enabled me to to get to to a stage where I, you know, i've been able to to start wam um so yeah all, all interesting touch points so when you when you look at
0: wam consultancy which you have like and, and you talk about where you're situated in england like is it is it a case of the reason why the reason why there is a career aspect to hospitality, do you think that's just because of the breakup of um, of venues? There, they're a bit more family run, they're a bit smaller, or do you think it's just intrinsically that's how that part of the country is?
1: Um, I think I think intrinsically in this area of the country, let's say hospitality is huge. Mm. Um, at any one time, there will be a um, Th- there will be a top 10 list of the party capitals of, of the world or the party right. capitals of Europe. And mm-hmm. Newcastle will in a, in invariably be in some position in that mm-hmm. top 10. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for people like myself that were brought up in, in that era, like say, the, the late 80s, early, early mid 90s, where things were booming, um, it's part of your everyday life. Hospitality, um, visiting the local pub, uh, visiting your bar, eating out, it, 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 you know, it, it, you you were brought up in in that um, you were brought up in that bubble, so to speak. Mm.
0: Um,
1: there are. I, I work with a lot of different size companies, Sean. I work with people that are starting up the first venue. Yeah. Work with people that are two, three venues in and looking yep. to grow. And and I and I look at I look at multi-site uh, multi-site operators that I work with as well. Mm-hmm. And they've all got one thing in common. They've all got a passion for. Uh, hospitality for meeting people for talking with people for um for for, for for socializing they may lack certain areas of operational knowledge they may lack certain experiences in, in, in different aspects of it i suppose that's where myself and my company comes in mm-hmm. but one thing that i can never i, I can never second guess some of my clients with is their passion to move forward and their passion to be in the in the in the hospitality for the right reasons and Mm. they're the people i love working with because you know i I get a spark off those people i get a spark off their uh, their passion and and, and their their, enthusiasm um, and their enthusiasm and and that tells me that these are people i think we can work with and do some great stuff with
0: so what are the couple of the pain points when you're dealing with these great hospitality providers they what, what are the sort of top three things they're coming to you with and, and you're actually helping them with for the moment? Uh,
1: I, I suppose it, it depends on, on the type of client um, mm-hmm. and, and the size and the size they're at. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I think about probably um, probably the three most common clients mm-hmm. that will come across our doors, like I say they will be people that have this um, passion, they have this um, desire, this dream, if you will, mm-hmm. to open their own restaurant. Pub, mm-hmm. eatery, whatever it is, and just lack the operational know how and, and and the the lack of a critical path to get them there. Mm. So th- th- those are guys I really enjoy working with. Like I say because their enthusiasm for the project as a whole uh, really makes it very easy to, to to work with that type of client and support that type of client. Yep. So I love working with those guys. The the sort of medium sized company. So we've got guys that have somehow you know they've gotten up to two three four venues mm-hmm. Um, they're all just dis- they're all running disparate from each other they need um, some guidance and support to try and pull the operational side into a coherent package and um, yes. to sort of tie all the loose ends together so that you know as they continue to grow their infrastructure is in place um, allowing them to, to grow with less less pain I suppose Yes. Uh, they, they, they pose a slightly uh, a slightly different challenge. Mm-hmm. But my background and one of the things I love is, is operational, operational strategy. Um, so I, I love working with those guys for a completely different reason. Mm. And then and then I look at my multi-site client who, It's a completely different kettle of fish. You know, 20, 20 plus venues, yes. multi-million pound turnover, huge mm-hmm. investment program. And being involved with those guys on their investment program and their journey to what they're calling the second phase of of, of their growth, that's exciting for a different type of reason. And being involved in and in um, them almost reinventing themselves and reinventing the type of company they want to be and the style of venues they want they want to run, that 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 that, that has its own sort of excitement, its own um, yeah, it, it, my own enthusiasm for for supporting that type of company. So I, I suppose they're the three most common. Mm-hmm. Um, three most common style of clients that, that i come across it's um
0: it's interesting you talking about the the reinvention uh pardon you've been in the industry long enough for me to ask this question of you like in your experience how how often do you think a brand hospitality brand needs to really invest in reinventing themselves do you think there's a a time frame around it or do you think it's more Based on the amount of venues they're opening and the and the time factor around that themselves, or
1: yeah, that's an interesting question, Sean. It was actually a topic that came up in a podcast I was listening to last week, mm-hmm. and um, and I was listening to what the, some of those industry experts down in London had had to say about the matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, again, I think there's a couple of parts of this. One of the 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 aspects they were talking about that I've never thought about was what percentage of your annual profit you reinvest. Back into mm. your business mm-hmm. and reinvesting it keeping your business both looking fresh, but also developing it at the same time. Yeah. Um. And and they were talking about a ten percent figure. Wow. And, and In some cases, it could be twenty percent. Mm-hmm. And that that was interesting. I'd never heard a figure put on that before. And that that's really no, neither I right, actually. Um. Mm. Yeah. So, so so that was that was really interesting. And that's something that I intend to sort of have a, a good think about this, this year as I, I look at, at different uh, different portfolios and different clients and different uh, different uh, sort of ideas of my own I, I've got in mind um, but I, 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 I suppose I worked, one of the biggest companies I worked for, Sean, in, in the UK was a company called Stonegate, Stonegate Pub mm-hmm. Company and uh, Stonegate are about to become the largest privately owned pub company in the UK, they're, they're just wow. about to sign a, a deal to take their, their, um, their, their company up to 800 plus venues Wow. Now, when okay. I when I joined them, I joined them uh, the turn of the the millennium, just 2000, 2001 Okay, and uh, they were traditional. It was a company called at the time they were called Yates Wine Lodges. Okay, uh, a load a load of history behind them, going back to the, early, the sort of early nineteen hundreds. The, their um, history was in the, the northwest heartland, very working class roots, spit and sawdust on the floor, um, <laughs> and um, and they had a hundred plus venues. As that company has grown, mm. the the Yates Wine Lodges, I think at a whole, were at one hundred sixty seven venues. Wow. I'm led to believe now that there'll be about twelve left within the, the eight hundred strong Stonegate estate, oh, wow. because Stonegate have took those venues, and as have they've, they've come up with new brands and that particular brand has struggled and, and I was around where they tried to reinvigorate that brand on, on a couple of occasions with mm. um, different design concepts, different menu concepts, different mm. drinks packages um, th- they've now developed different brands to a degree where that, that historical brand has is, is almost disappeared off the landscape of, of the British hospitality scene which in yeah. itself is a shame it's, it's sad, yeah. but, what, but what they've shown is they've shown the need to not be sentimental about that Mm-hmm. I realize actually the hospitality market's moved on. We've got to move with it. Casual mm-hmm. dining has grown within the within the pub and bar industry. We need to move our brands with it. And um, and I suppose that that's probably the the thing I've saw the most is the is the change from wet lead or primarily 80-20, 90-10 wet dry lead into yes. venues now which are 60-40, 50-50, in some cases 40-60 wow. wet dry lead. And out. that's come through, and that and that a lot of that's come through the desire in the UK for uh, the growth of, of casual dining, yes. um, and, and for operators, let's like say, not being um, not being hung up on what they what they have been, seeing how the market is developing and pushing their own their own companies to to that um, to that direction. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah, I suppose the the old saying is evolving die, isn't it? And um,
0: it's interesting, isn't it? It's a bit, yeah. It's a bit like how we're looking at, um, you know, bricks and mortar retail at the moment, um, yeah. And and how that's just uh, really struggling, you know, all throughout the world. Um, yes, a- Australia, we've had a lot of um, uh, fashion retail brands over the last twelve months which have gone into liquidation, and and mm-hmm. brands that have been around for twenty five, thirty, forty years. Like it's just, it's quite, it's it's been quite sad. But it's kind of, yeah. It's kind of how hospitality moves, and and hospitality's moved to this casualization, which is a, um, but in part, I think as an industry, we need to make sure that casualization means that we don't care about our customer as much, and we take a casual <laughs> approach to our customer. Um, and, and I think that some sometimes is what is is what is lacking in in the, in industry as a
1: whole. Absolutely, I mean, I mean, talking about how that's changed, Sean, and 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 evolving your, your offering over where you are in, in Melbourne and in Australia as a whole has has de- has delivery has has home delivery in terms of hospitality picked a pace up yet is it, is it prevalent in, in
0: yeah so so I mean Melbourne and Melbourne and Sydney uh, have probably had delivery as a really big player for about four years okay, um, okay. And, and we've got about probably four four major players um uh, on the eastern seaboard, so obviously Uber Eats, Deliveroo, yeah. Uh, yeah. Menu Log, and, and then DoorDash for America, which okay. has come in, um, okay. uh, a couple of other smaller providers as well, um, uh, but they sort of just hit the edges and and it, yeah, it's dramatically dramatically changed. And it's and it's not it's not any different to any any other part of the world which is going through this with hospitality is that is that now restaurateurs um, are going. What do I? What do I do? You know, how does this affect my? I need to have it because you know uh, everyone else is on it, so I'm going to get lost if I don't do it. Um, but they take, you know, over a third of the top line, you know, amount of money. Then I have to increase my price to, to counter for that. Then how long is a customer going to pay that premium price for a delivery option? Um, Absolutely. You know, and then you've got great brands like Domino's. Who own their own uh, delivery IP? Who can who can then combat against the Uber Eats and delivery platforms, and then own that part of the tech environment in order to deliver a uh, uh, a high um, high throughput product at a cheaper price because they own their own delivery. Like it's just it's uh, it's it's kind of separating the men's from the boys in a bit. And and it's really it's really making hospitality owners and new people coming in really think um, think about their venues a lot more. Um, Absolutely. So I think long term it's a good thing. In the short term, it's it's really painful to watch. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I only ask because in, in the UK we're probably eighteen months to two years into that journey of, of delivery right. really really yes. taking place. Uh-huh. And uh, you know when we're just talking about the evolution of, of the business and evolution of hospitality, that's the biggest evolution we're seeing on, on our shores at the moment is is mm-hmm. how to you uh, you know if you're not already doing delivery, you probably need to be doing delivery, especially if you like if you've got a casual dining. Um, yes. And a, a food element to, to your business, mm-hmm. um, and, and the challenge, I suppose, I, I, I'm seeing with, with some of our clients is they, they bring they start on the delivery route, hoping it's an incremental sale, uh, and hoping that it's going to add uh, additional sales to their top line. Yes. And instead, what we're finding is there's, there's a bit of a hockey stick movement taking place, where it's actually it, it's cannibalizing the top line a little bit from less people visiting their venues. Mm-hmm. Um, more people taking the delivery option, that's cutting into their margins, and mm-hmm. instead of it being an incremental part of the business, it starts becoming a more in, inherent part of the offering. Yes. And an inherent part of the offering with a lower margin, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. and that's where the challenge is at the moment around delivery in, in the UK. Um, the, the you know a lot of the bigger operators trying to open dark kitchens, trying to open delivery only kitchens, mm. and the 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 challenges around around you know the labour aspect of that, how how, how those those places are only busy for a two, three-hour period of the day. You're staffing it up for for a longer period of time, and that's biting into lower margins. So, yeah, just interested to see where you guys are at versus where where we're at over here.
0: Yeah, it's really really in a stage where I think a lot of restaurateurs um, don't like it but they know they had to have it. And I've got a lot yeah. of other, other friends in the industry who love it because it brings in so much revenue, but they also don't like it because of the amount of, the amount of percentage they have to pay. So yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's, it's a really interesting market at the moment. I think with, with Australia's labour component um, being relatively high, um, as it should be, because we need to attract the right talent. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, but, yeah, across the board, it's, uh, it's pretty tough. Um, yeah, so a bit it's an interesting, interesting evolution 18 months or so plays out I think so absolutely yeah. it's an interesting evolution so the so the major reason I wanted to have you on when we were talking about you know your career mark and and, and how well you've done is I know that one of the one of the biggest points you work on with your clients is the ownership um, that staff have you know in their teams and and yeah. and how you actually get them to really care um, about their teams and the venue they're working with, um, and their owner, and all those kind of things. Like, how yeah. have you been able to develop that with your clients over the last couple of years?
1: Yeah, so uh, one of the uh, a lot of things that comes from face to face meetings with clients, or um, or when I'm, I'm uh, you know conversing on, on social media with, with with people, is this question of culture comes up quite a lot, Sean. How do mm. we build a positive culture? How do we build a culture of ownership? Yes. Um, how, do we, how do we build a culture of ownership where whereby we have high-performing members of the team staying with us for mm. you know not just the usual nine months but eighteen months, two years, three years, grafting and building a career with us. Yes. And and for me, you know, both in my general manager days and my multi-site my operations days, creating a culture has always been really important to to me and in, 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 mm-hmm. in, in my my sort of philosophy for for hospitality. I'm a great believer in that whether you are the head of a multi-venue uh, organization or you, you're a general manager within your own venue, your own four walls, that the person at the top of that food chain, the person at the top of, of, of your management structure, has to be the one that, that leads by example and, and, and starts, the, starts the change of culture. Yeah. I, th- I think that the, the top people have, have two options. They can either be the sort that give energy to their teams Mm-hmm. or they can be the sort that suck energy from their teams. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, hopefully your listeners can think about people they've come across that are either energy givers or or, 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 or energy takers and how that's made them feel and how that's made their workplace feel at any, any particular one place in, mm-hmm. in, in, in time. Um, I think starting a, a culture of ownership begins with the, the people at the top Really listening to what their, their teams have to say. Yes. And, and when I say really listening, Sean, I don't mean that they, they pretend to listen as a placebo. Because yes. In time, because in time, those people will get found out and, and you're not going to really create that, that cultural change you're after. If, you know, if someone comes on and says, look, you really need to start listening to what your people are saying, you really need to engage them and, and listen to their ideas mm. and, and listen to what they're telling you is the good and bad and listen to what they're telling you the guests are saying, Mm. If if I say that to someone and, and they think, well, that's just what the first tick box and a series of boxes I need to tick to build a big culture, those people are going to be found out and they're never going to really affect the change they're after. Mm-hmm. So you've re- you've, to, you've really got to want to, to change a culture. You've really got to want to introduce ownership. And to do that, you've really got to want to listen. And, and and that, I would say, is the one of the most important parts. Mm-hmm. Do you
0: think um, do you, I was going to say do you think the do you think a leader who may or an owner who isn't that way at the moment do you think it's easy for them to change to be a genuine listener to be genuinely empathetic or do you think that's I, just a learned behavior over a period of
1: time I, I think it's I think it's a learned behavior if I look at my own personal um Career, Sean. I wasn't like that until probably my late twenties. I would say my (laughs) late twenties, but possibly even when I hit thirty. And and I appreciated. I'll I'll tell you what. I know exact moment it started for me. Um, I was working for this big company, Stonegate Pub Company. Um, Mm -hmm. I was I was in around Newcastle. I got the opportunity to move away from Newcastle for the first time to move up to the northeast of Scotland. Mm. Now, I, now I was in an area in Newcastle where we had sort of 10, 12 venues, all within a few miles of each other. So mm. if we needed support, or we had a problem with, with, we were short-staffed, or we needed some help, we could reach out to different venues. Mm. When I got up into Scotland, and there was nothing either, you know, there's a not not another company venue within 120 miles of me, <laughs> and I'm working, and I'm working in a, it was called a city. It's a place called Dundee in the in the northeast of Scotland. It's oh, called yeah. a city. But you could literally, you could walk from one side of the city to the other in less than 30 minutes. So <laughs> yes. you're dealing with a really small catchment area and a really small pool of talent. Yes. And and, I, and I'm, I'm a general manager up there, and I'm, I'm suddenly realizing that, you know, geez, these, uh, these people are, are really important to the success of, of what I'm trying to create here because – I, I can't go get help from somewhere else. I've got mm-hmm. to help. De- I've got to develop these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, I, I can't just pull in people left, right, and center if these are. So that, that really started off my career of of, of learning to develop my people, mm-hmm. learning to listen to what they were telling me, and and, and you know, and I suppose the, the 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 light bulb moment for me is when I went to that venue. That was bottom three performing venue in the company. Well. In terms of life, in terms of life for life, mm. when we left it, it was top three in terms of life for life, and I attribute that wholeheartedly to to the team that were there, and 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 them getting on board with me and my vision for it, partially. Educated by what they were telling me, because this is the, they were from that area. They knew better than I did, so I really had to listen to to, to to you know to what what's the cultural differences between where I come from, Newcastle, and what's going on in the Dundee area, and mm-hmm. and that was really a, a real sort of like say a light bulb moment for me and the importance of people. So I think it can be a learned um, a learned behaviour um, if you really want it to be. Mm-hmm. I also think you can learn to be a good listener if there is. Um, if there is a desire on your point want. To, yeah. to do so, a want, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and that's where, you know, where I say to, to clients, you've got to really want to listen. You can't just do it as a placebo. Mm-hmm. Um, because, because, because the next step of a cultural journey is taking the information you, you, you've got from the people that, that work for you and, and, and listen to what they have to say um, mm-hmm. and, and put that into practice. Um, and I, and I'm a great believer and it comes back to sort of my early days and we, and we spoke at my, Nigel Volcker at of 40 Second Street Bars and how he would have a conversation with you regardless of what level you were in, in, in what size venue mm. and, 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 and from that one of the things I learned was that really get to look, know your, your, your team you know, really get to know your team as, as yeah, individuals totally and, you can, and you can do that regardless of what size team you have whether you're a general manager with a team of 10, 20, 30 or, or right up to, to operations level you can know, you know operations manager you're going in to do a visit you, there's nothing stopping you knowing the name of that person that's behind the bar or that person who's coming to serve your table mm-hmm. and know one thing about that person that you can have a conversation with them about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It takes time and it takes effort, but I'm a great believer you can do that. And that helps with the you know that in terms of listening as well. That helps to get people on side to push forward the cultural change you're looking for.
0: It's, it's funny, Mark, how it just helps so many things um... – just just being that particular person and being more open and I think, like you just said then I didn't learn that till my sort of late twenties either mm-hmm. and I think as I get older and and more established in my career in hospitality, I become a better and better leader, not just because yeah. I've seen more I think it's because I understand more and I think yeah. the longer I'm getting into my career the better listener I'm becoming and the, and the less yeah. I'm talking and yeah. and and, and the, the more conversations I'm having are actually, uh, you know, poignant conversations. They're, they're good conversations to have. They're not just conversations for the sake of it. And yeah. I remember in my late, my late twenties and I was running this burger restaurant and um, my, my boss came uh, from interstate and he said, we think you're doing a good, an okay job, but you've been a dictator. And, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I said, "What what do you mean? And he said, well, you're directing the staff, but, you're not, you're not, they're not, they're not having fun. We can tell they're not yeah. having fun. I said, well, I'm trying, I'm trying to be fun. I'm trying to be happy. I'm trying to, you know, I was trying to act 10 years younger than I was, you know, that's kind mm-hmm. of staff member that we're employing. But then he goes, you've got to talk more. You've got to let them in. You've got to be open. You've got to, you've got to talk more about yourself as well. So that when you ask questions about them, they know a little about a bit about you and that's how trust builds. And I I, uh, I can that empathize with that hundred percent. So, 100%, that was so Sean. important for me, you
1: know. Yeah, yeah, mm. v- very similar for me in my early career. Very dictational. Mm-hmm. Um, very. Let's just get the job done. Mm-hmm. Let's drive results through that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I wasn't driving. Res- it, it was short term results. I wasn't. Yes. No, no. It, I, I wasn't driving performance the way I should have been driving performance. I was driving mm-hmm. performance because I was telling them to drive performance. I wasn't driving performance because they wanted to drive performance for me. For my my venue for my company, um, and I suppose it's that little switch you talked a lot about there about you know becoming a, a better leader. Mm. I think there's a, a spot in everybody's career where you you recognize the difference between being a manager and being a leader. Yes, and I think mm-hmm. when that again when that light bulb goes off, that changes your approach to yes. your career, and it certainly changes your approach to your team. Mm-hmm. And, totally and I agree. think uh, again. You know that came to me a good few years in, into my career um mm-hmm. especially when i you know um when i had to be a little bit more self um self-sufficient in terms mm-hmm. of, uh, yeah mm-hmm. self-reflective um in terms of the the position I, I found myself with with very little um senior support around me and, mm. and uh, that, that was a big moment for me and um yeah, and, and and I think, you know, when we go back to, to culture and talk about listening to your team and and, and appreciating you, you're a leader, I, I think when you and like you said, when you let people in and they let you in, that's when the magic can really happen. And I think yes. that's when you have a team that's willing to go that extra mile for you and willing mm-hmm. to buy into your vision of what you want to create within your company and the direction you want to take it. And I think 100%. once you've got that buy-in, like I say, that's when the magic happens. That's when you know your team turnover starts starts lower, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. that's when you're working with people on a more consistent basis, and they're working with you, and they understand that what you want, and you you you've got higher team stability, and 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 those guys are with you for a period of time. You're developing those people throughout their career. They appreciate that. Again, it's a two-way function, um, and that's when I think you can drive exceptional performance. You know, once you've got those pieces in place, for me that's when you're in a position to real drive exceptional performance by saying, look, this is the bar I expect. You know, for Mm -hmm. me as a manager, I never wanted good performance. I always wanted exceptional performance. Mm -hmm. That had to start with me leading by example. And when we set the bar and said, look, this is what our expectation are from this is what we're trying to aim to. Mm. And then you put a reward and recognition package and policy around, you know, those people that can, you know, you reach that high level of expectation. That's when we can grow your career. That's when, all right, you're a part-time. You work with me 12 hours a day. However, we've got some really great, uh, 12 hours a week, sorry, but we've got some real excellent feedback for you. You are here, and even though you're part-time, you're reaching those those high-expectational. I know a little bit about you. I know you like to get your hair cut at Tony and Guy. So you know (laughs) what? Here's a 30-pound voucher for Tony and Guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can tailor your sort of reward and recognition policy to that individual when you know a little bit more about them. And it's all just a sort of a a concentric circle that, you know, you learn about them, they learn about you, it drives performance, it drives loyalty. When all that happens, Sean, it's it's just a magic formula that that I found um, in
0: my experience. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, I think the biggest thing I took out of what you just said, it's a lot of little things And yes, you know, I'm very much a believer of that, that, uh, uh, people, staff members leave managers they don't leave brands and, and if they really respect the person who they're working underneath quote unquote, then, you know, they're going to, they're more likely to stay. They're more likely to give the customers a great experience, um, and they're more likely to stay in the industry, and you know, lower staff turnover and increase increased performance and revenue and all those great things we want to do. But at the end of the day, it's just the right thing to do. And and yeah. I know you're in this. I can guess, Mark, you're in this industry because some part of you feel like you want to give a large majority back for the great, you know, the great service that you got given at the start of your
1: career. One hundred percent, Sean. And and that was one of the reasons that um, that I launched WAM. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really enjoy, um I really enjoy uh, I really enjoy first of all, I really enjoy working with clients and, and, and having an impact for clients mm-hmm. and, um, and like you say, sharing knowledge and sharing experience and, and helping you know help, help, helping them get to where they want to be. Mm-hmm. The other part that I, I do quite a lot of is uh, I do a lot of mentorship for for business students. Mm -hmm. and uh, working with 16 and 19 year olds wow and um and that's and that is a part i really really enjoy as well you know i really really enjoy um listening to those guys ideas for business listen to where they want to be and 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 hopefully just giving them a little leg up and giving them a little bit of edge on um on on their soon to be competitors when they take their business ideas out into the real world by yes. just sharing a little bit of experience that that i've gained that, that you know that they haven't obviously they, they haven't been in long enough to to mm-hmm. to, to pick up mm-hmm. um and i love work i love working with 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 the students and um yeah giving giving back is a big part of, of what we do it's a big part of WAM. um i uh, one of the things i I wanted to do when I started WAM and I've stuck to religiously is that a minimum of half a day a week, I give up to pro bono work or I give up to um, <laughs> mentorship or I give up to charities um, in terms of how I can help them uh, with my experience from, from a, a consultancy point of view. Yeah, um, that's fantastic. And, and, and that, and that really drives and underpins my values and, and the culture I want within, within my company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think going back to what we talked about, I think culture within organizations, I think culture underpins long term success and long term sustainability. And um, anyone that's perhaps listening to this and not sure whether they have that sort of culture in place or not sure whether putting the work in to build that sort of culture is right for them or what they'll get out out of it. Well, mm-hmm. you know, all I can say is if you if you're in the in, in any type of business not necessarily hospitality but if you're in business or hospitality for long term success having a a positive high performance listening reward and recognition culture underpinning what you want to do will get you to where you want to be a lot faster than if you didn't have that
0: yeah i totally agree one thing i'm sort of starting to preach a lot more now is that we need to have more staff-led businesses and staff first businesses because everything else will usually fall in line if you care about that first. So, yeah, I totally agree. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. I know we have a lot of um, uh, UK lis- listeners who would, uh, would love to reach out to you. So what's, what's the best way that someone can get, you know, get a hold of you?
1: Yep, so um, in terms of warm, um, so WAM, um, a, a, a pre-synopsis. So I help hospitality and leisure operators run more efficient, effective, uh, profitable businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I consider a specialist in the hospitality business development turnaround area. Mm-hmm. And um, you can find a little bit more about WAM at www.wamconsultancy.com. Mm-hmm. And you'll see all, all, the, all uh, some, some client, um, so the clients we've worked with, mm-hmm. what our services are we can offer. So yeah, WAMConsultancy.com. And in terms of myself, um, probably LinkedIn is the best place to find me. Um, yep. I'm very active with the LinkedIn community. Um, mm-hmm. My personal is linkedin.com uh, forward slash IN forward slash dash Mark Wright. And that's Mark with a K and Wright, W R I G H T. And I'd love to hear from you know some of your listeners. Um, mm-hmm. Reach out, join my network, and uh, yeah, great great to connect.
0: Fantastic. Well, I'll link that all up in the bio as well. So it's really easy for people to access and Mark, it's been, a, it's been a great half hour or so, my friend. And uh, I'm sure there'll be many more conversations between us to come. So thanks for your time.
1: Yeah, great, Sean. Thanks for having me on. Really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thanks so
0: much for tuning in for another episode of the Open Pantry Podcast. I really hope you're getting something out of this podcast for you or your business moving through in 2020. As always, make sure you reach out to me on my Instagram under Open Pantry Consulting to give me some feedback and let me know what you think. Until next time, stay well.